Thanks, Pastor Eric. Appreciate it. Am I on? Check, check. Debit credit. Awesome. Cool. We're there. Well, I'm super pumped to be here. I really appreciate it. you guys are a very warm and welcoming church. I want you guys to know that. And so it's, it's, it's really a, a pleasure. Well, uh, something I've noticed uh, being in my position uh, is pastors that uh, were in ministry for quite a while. They got used to that weekly you know, Sundays come in, sermon prep mode. And so constantly throughout the week, they're seeing sermon illustrations all over the place. And, you know, they're opening scripture for devotions and thinking, man, that'd be a great message. Uh, but then it goes like weeks and weeks or months between preaching. And it kind of ends up being this, you know, fire shut up in your bones, kind of like Jeremiah talks about. And all that to say, I'm really, really pumped. I haven't preached in a while. And I promise we will be out of here by four. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking, it'll be two. But uh, <laughs> 22 years ago, this June, a van load of sweaty, testosterone-ridden teenage boys were dropped off 2.1 miles from this very spot. The place, you could guess, is Albion College. Uh, the occasion is FCA Camp, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And at the time, I didn't even know what the word fellowship meant. <laughs> I did know what the word Christian meant, but I wanted nothing to do with it. I was there for the athlete part, I guess. Um, at this point in my life, I was very, very depressed. Um, I struggled with self-harm. I would cut and injure myself. Um, often in places where um, I thought maybe someone might notice that's really what I wanted. I, I wished that someone would see this this pain, these scars, and care enough to to ask me about it, to pay attention to me. And I desperately at that time wanted to be liked. I wanted to be loved. And so of course I turned to whatever I could find, friends, girlfriends, and I would do whatever I needed to do to try to gain that attention, that affection. And so I started smoking pot, drinking. I started, uh, you know, I, I used everything I could from popularity to um, vandalizing the neighborhood with my friends. We'd go and just do crazy things, illegal things, all of it to try to fill this dark, cold chasm in my soul. But of course, I couldn't. I hated myself. And truthfully, I wanted to die. That's where I was at, 15 years old. But there I found myself in some small auditorium, amphitheater thing. Maybe it was a chapel. You may know exactly what it is. I don't know. I haven't been there in 22 years. But there I was, and I was sitting in this seat, and there was some youth worker guy down front on the floor with a guitar with a broken string. He, he said a bunch of words. I didn't understand a lot of what he was talking about there, but there's one phrase that really stood out to me. And that phrase was, Jesus Christ can make you a new person. And that really hit me, because that's what I wanted. I desperately wanted to be loved, but I also desperately wanted to be lovable. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, he could make me a new person. And so there I was, sitting in that seat, and I looked over at this group of friends, and they weren't believers either. And my best friend, I looked at him. We'd been through a lot of stuff. And if you grew up a little bit of like a hoodlum like I did, and you're doing illegal things and 
getting chased by people and some of the things. Um, you are like really close with your friends. They're like family, okay? They're like blood. And I looked at my best friend and I said, dude, we got to go down there, you know, and pray. Do what this guy's talking about. And he, he, I'll never forget, he crossed his arms like this and he looked at me and said, no way, man. So at this point, I've got to make a choice, right? I'm here with all this baggage. The only hope I ever found was with my friends, drugs, alcohol, girls, sports, popularity. But here in this moment, I've got to make a choice. And that choice was either to to lie down in fear and stay the same or stand up in faith and take a chance. Fear is tempting because it is familiar. Maybe you can relate. I may not like where I'm at. I might not like how I feel. I might not like what I've got. But at least I know it. I can see it. I can wrap my mind around it. I feel like I have a sense of control. But this faith thing is totally different. Who knows what's on the other side? I'm no longer in control. I can't see how things are going to work out, even if there's a promise that they will. But I'm thankful to stand before you today to say, I did not lie down in faith in that moment. I stood up. In fa- lie down in, 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 in fear. I stood up in faith and I walked past my friends. I walked out of my old life and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. It was not an easy decision. Some of you have done this. Some of you are afraid to do it. I left my friends. I left what was familiar. I left what gave me comfort just for a chance that there might be something better out there. How about you? Have you ever been faced with a decision between fear and faith? Maybe some of you guys are like me and you read the New Testament and you see these words in red. Well, some of the Bibles used to have words in red, remember? And sometimes I read Jesus saying things and I'm like, I can't do that. I can't forgive everyone. Or that one person? Or I can't forgive again? Or I can't sell my possessions? I mean, Jesus didn't live, you know, we got 401ks and we got, you know, bills and we, you know, I can't do that. Fast? Like from food? For like how long? I'm sure that's not healthy. I mean, Jesus didn't, you know, he was not reading the blogs I'm reading, you know, he doesn't know, you know, what I need. Or like, turn the cheek, turn your other cheek. I can't do that. We're afraid to have faith that if we do what God says to do, our life will be better. He's calling you to do crazy things. He said, Peter, step out of the boat in the middle of the storm on in the water. That doesn't sound very safe. It doesn't make sense due to the physics that we understand from science. But he chose faith over fear and he walked on water. Let me put it to you like this. Jesus said it very, very well in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what, if you know it? Destruction. Good job. 
(laughs) But small is the gate and narrow is the road, listen, that leads to life. And only a few find it. Are you going to be one of the few? Do you have the guts to choose faith? Well, if you have your Bibles with you or they're under your seats or you're on your phone, however you want to do it, I'll have them on the screen as well. Uh, but I, I hear here at Caring, uh, Caring Community Church, you guys like to get into the Word and get that in your hands. And so I'm all about that. So, so we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. So you could take your time finding that. Um, as uh, Pastor Eric shared, you guys have been going through uh, this thing called the story. So if you're new to the church, uh, the story is this Bible study uh, kind of tool that brings you through the wide uh, range of the, the biblical narrative, okay? So you, you think you start all the way back in Genesis with the tree of life, and then you end all the way in Revelation with the trees of life lining the, uh, the river of God in the kingdom of God. And so we are today right smack dab in the middle of this story. You guys have been uh, in the middle of uh, Judah, northern Israel, and all these things going on. And I have to stop for a second and say, uh, I listened to the past couple of messages, Prior to coming here, I want to know, okay, what, what, you know, what's caring community church like? What are they teaching about? What's going on? And I am telling you guys something. Can we just like give thanks for a moment to God for your teaching that you have here? Pastor Tamar, Pastor Eric, other teaching. I mean, I, I, no lie. I mean, I'm listening to this, this message. I'm thinking I'm in seminary right now. Like, all right, like this is good stuff. And here's the thing. Uh, As I've gone to different churches throughout my life, sometimes you get, what I would call a, like a TED talk. You ever seen a TED talk? Like it's a little 10 minute pithy thing, like a life hack. And sometimes you go and that's what a s- sermons are, you know? Uh, it's just like a life hack or it's pop psychology propped up by a couple of verses, you know? You guys aren't getting that here. You guys are getting the meat and you're getting the potatoes and I love it. So like, also thank God for, uh, for just for your church. You guys are doing it. You guys are putting in the work. In today's world, uh, our attention spans are going down. It's because we're constantly getting beeped at by our phones. We want everything summarized, everything short. And so it, I know, I get it. It takes work to open the word of God and, 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 and think about it. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting off subject, but I'm so proud of, uh, of you guys as a church. It's really cool. All right. Well, as we're considering uh, this thought process, this pattern of choosing to stand up in faith, and not lie down in fear, we're going to turn to the life of King Hezekiah. And to really appreciate King Hezekiah's situation, we got to start with his dad. We've got to start with the kind of life Hezekiah uh, was was brought into. So I'm going to have a couple verses up on the screen. Uh, if you want to flip to 2 Kings 16, a couple pages back, you can, or you can just look. But we're going to read about Hezekiah's dad for a moment in 2 Kings 16. One to four. In the seventeenth year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Now Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for sixteen years. Unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel, and even sacrificed his son in the fire. 
engaging in the detestable practices of the nations of the Lord, that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spreading tree. I mean, that's the Bible's way of saying, I mean, this dude was just prolific in his uh, promotion of pagan practices. This is a bad dude, all right? Not only is he generally unfaithful to the worship of Yahweh, and, and you'll hear me probably a lot, when I'm talking about the Old Testament, I say Yahweh a lot. That's the name of God that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. And the reason I say Yahweh a lot is because that's the personal name that God gave to the Israelites and it differentiates him from all the other gods, okay? Anytime you see in your Bible, L with capitals, O-R-D, okay? That actually in the Hebrew text is what we'd kind of say Y-H-W-H or Yodvav, Havav, and it's it's Yahweh, okay? Um Traditionally, you don't translate it as Yahweh because it's so sacred, you don't even translate it in your Bible. Um, it's okay to, I mean, we say Jesus all the time or, you know, that, anyways, we're going to get out in the weeds. Yeshua, G, whatever. But uh, I, I, you might hear me say Yahweh sometimes. I just didn't want you to be like, what is he talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about, sometimes I just say that naturally because I want you to know there's a lot of other gods talked about in our scriptures and stuff, and I want you to know this is the God of Israel, the true God, the revealed God, the living God. All right. So bad dude engages all these bad pagan practices, even has his own son burned. Now, that's a whole thing you can study. Uh, if you look at the cross-reference of Ahaz's life in Second Chronicles 28, you can see more uh, about what he did. Uh, but it's just, it's just terrible. All right, but... What Ahaz comes up against in his life, he, he already, that's his general story, his little bio. But what, what happened actually was there was a situation where northern Israel, if you guys will remember, if you've been around, they've separated. Northern Israel makes a coalition with another little country uh, called Aram. Now, Aram and northern Israel are coming down to attack Judah. And Ahaz is like, what do I do? Well, God makes it real easy for these kings. He sends the prophet Isaiah to tell them what to do. And I want to read you what happens here. Isaiah 7. Now, I originally had all 17 verses here. But I practiced my sermon and it was really, really long. So, boy, please do your reading this coming week because it's so good. I tell my wife like a million times, I'm like, Jess, I can't do it. There's too much good stuff. They're going to miss it all. And it's like, you're going to have to go home and get all the good stuff. Okay, but here's what happens. Isaiah 7, uh, the Lord says to Isaiah, go out, meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. And this is what you should say to him. Be careful, keep calm, and do not be afraid. That's what God told Ahaz to do. Can you guys read that with me for a second? Because I think we can internalize. That's a word from the Lord, maybe even for you today when we're faced with these decisions. So I want to I want you guys to read that with me for a moment. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Does Ahaz listen? You can guess. No. He lies down in fear. He's afraid of what's going to happen to him. Not only is he afraid and does chooses not to have faith in Yahweh, he goes to the worst possible place he could go for help. He goes to Assyria. The Assyrians were known as the most vicious, violent. I mean, they had heads on stakes all outside the fence. I mean, this is like a, a this is Nineveh. You remember, remember a Jonah? 
Jonah was a prophet. Anyways, my, <laughs> my girls love veggie tales. Um, and he's like, I'm not going there. I mean, these people are terrible. You know, like they're the worst of the worst. You know, God, God doesn't even, doesn't love them. I mean, it's a whole thing. So the Assyrians are bad, bad people. He goes there, the very center of anti-Yahweh worship, home of the detestable pagan practices. He doesn't just go to Assyria. But he goes and he empties all the treasuries of the temple of Yahweh. The treasury set aside for worship towards him and help of the people and to support the priesthood. And he goes and he gives all of that. And it says he bows down before the king of Assyria. He gives him all of this money. If that wasn't enough, he goes and he does a little tour of Assyria. He's checking things out. All kinds of pagan practices, all kinds of gods, all kinds of ways of... Uh, uh, of engaging in, 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 in idolatry. And he decides he likes some of this stuff. He goes back to Judah, to Jerusalem, to the temple that Solomon had built. And he goes and he modifies the altar in the Holy of Holies to look like these pagan altars. He rearranges the furniture. He removes uh, these gold uh inlays and things and he just he he desecrates the temple of god i mean not only was god trying to save him but he throws it back in god's face ahaz was a bad dude but now we turn to hezekiah for a lesson in how to stand up in faith and not lie down in fear like his father had done so we're going to read second kings chapter 18 if you want to flip there in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. We're just there in verse 1, if you're still flipping. I know I'm going fast. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah. Really cool name, by the way. Sorry, I love Hebrew stuff. The Abijah, Avi, means my, my father, and Yah is short for Yahweh. My father is Yahweh. What a cool name. Anyway, Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nahushtan. Hezekiah trusted Yahweh, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. I mean, that's pretty, wow. He held fast to the Lord. He did not stop following him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given to Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And from watchtower to fortified city, he defeated those Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. All right, so Hezekiah is a good king. He tears down all the evil his father had put up. He even takes back several areas of land that were taken from Judah. He didn't lie down in fear. He stood up in faith. Now, I shared with you guys my testimony, my story of how I came to Christ. But I didn't really share with you, you know, all the details of, of my life. Uh, how did I end up in that place? Why was I a depressed 15-year-old kid? Well, obviously, teenagers, hormones, whatever. Sorry, it's true. Um, but it all started, I think, for me when my, my parents divorced when I was one. 
And I grew up with this notion communicated to me that, well, uh, you're, my dad got custody of us, but your dad didn't actually want you. Uh, he didn't fight for custody for you. It was, you know, your grandma stepped in and made sure that that happened. But he didn't want you guys. I was also told, well, your mother didn't want you because she moved an hour and a half away. Why would she do that if she actually, you know, cared about you? And so I grew up with this idea that, well, shoot, dad doesn't want us. Mom doesn't want us. I guess I'm just not wanted. I'm just not only lo- not loved, I'm just not lovable, right? You internalize, create that your identity wrapped around these things. Now... I could give my parents a bad rap, but I could also tell you about my parents, right? Sin goes down generation to generation all the way back to Adam. My mom's dad uh, was in an affair. They got found out, and he shot and killed himself. Her mom took the alcohol and became very abusive, and all the children had to be taken out of the home. There was abuse on my dad's side of the family. There's alcoholism. I can, we can all blame our past, or we can choose to do what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah could have just let rolled over. Well, look, I inherited all this stuff. No, instead, he tore down. Think about that as an illustration for your life. He tore down what was evil. And he raised up what was good. Some of you guys need to hear this today. But you don't have to stay a victim. You can tear down what is evil. And you can raise up what is good. You have that choice. I'm sorry for what has happened in your life. I'm sorry for what's happened in my life. I'm sorry what's happened in in the life of the person that hurt you. Look, it goes back to Adam and Eve. It goes back to sin. What matters is what we do now. All right, so I mentioned to you that Hezekiah rebelled against Assyria. He fortified cities on the border and he paid, tri- he stopped paying tribute to the king. How do you think Assyria felt about that? <laughs> Not too good. So Hezekiah was about to be tested again. And what's he going to do when the most powerful nation in the known world comes knocking at his door? And again, I encourage you to go read the details of all this story because it is so good, but I have to skip ahead a little bit. Where we're going to pick up is in verse 27, okay? Here's what happens. A commander of the Assyrian army comes, bonk, 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 knocks on the door of the gate. And he starts saying, we're going to blow this house down, right? And the gatekeepers, this is where we pick up in verse 27. Or sorry, sorry, the gatekeepers say, keep it down. This isn't verse 27 yet. Sorry, I forgot. I, I needed a little more prep. The gatekeepers say, keep it down. Don't cause a panic. We don't want everyone to know about this. Can you please speak not in Hebrew, which all of our people know? Can you speak in, in another language? Uh, can you please be quiet? And this is what the commander says. But the commander replied, Was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people on the wall? Who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? day. I mean, this is PG-13. I'm sorry to any kids who didn't go to kids' church. (laughs) Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, so everyone knows, hear the word of the great king of Assyria. 
This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in Yahweh when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out to me. Each of you will eat fruit of your own vine and fig tree. You'll drink water from your own cisterns. And then I'll come and and I'll take you with me to a better land, a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Listen to me. Choose life, not death. Ooh, isn't that tempting? Oh, giving into fear is so tempting. It's so comfortable. There's all that promise. Sounds like Satan, though. (laughs) Do not listen to Hezekiah. He is misleading you when he says that Yahweh would deliver us. Oh, and then it gets good. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath in our pod? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Eva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Now that's telling, just real quick. Samaria is in northern Israel, okay? Why were they worshiping those gods and expecting those gods to deliver them anyway? Anyway, just saying. Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then can Yahweh deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Foreshadowing. It's good, right? Like, this is good writing. I mean, this is like good stuff. There's so much more we can't even talk about. So this is like a David Goliath thing. Mega taunts, but PG-13. I could feel the tension. Assyria is promising not only food and water, but even says, you're going to be able to own your own land. You're going to have your own vineyards, fig trees, cisterns. All you need to do is compromise. Just give up on this Yahweh thing. Bow down to me. It's all you need to do. Forget about faith in Yahweh. Go with your gut. Take what you can see in front of you. Don't take a chance on what you cannot see. So a lot happens then. Uh, But where it ends up is this. The king of Assyria himself, Sennacherib, which by the way, so uh, this is also a new king. So he has no, he had never had an alliance with Judah. Okay, his dad, uh, Tiglath-Pileser, he had an alliance with Ahaz. But this is Sennacherib, whole new guy, hates, his, hates Judah, not afraid at all of them. And uh, he writes a letter to King Hezekiah, and it has all the same kind of trash. He's just mocking Yahweh. Your God's a puny God, puny God, puny God. Avengers? No? Anyway, first first movie. <laughs> it's probably been a while for some of you. But anyway, uh, he writes this letter, you know, making fun of Yahweh. And and this is where we pick up. We're in 2 Kings 19 now. So if you need to flip the page, 2 Kings 19, starting in verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. And I just love this picture that we get to see here of this faithful, faithful man. Then he went up to the temple of Yahweh and he spread it out before the Lord. And then Hezekiah prayed, Lord, 
the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord. Open your eyes, Lord. See, listen to the words that Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, but they weren't gods at all. They're only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. But now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Yahweh, are God. Oh, yeah. He is so good. He knows how it's done. I mean, he's scared. But you can be scared and do the right thing. That's just called faith. Uh, let's put up on the, on the screen this, uh, what I see as the four-step plan that Hezekiah has here. If you're taking notes, this is something to write down or snap a picture with your phone because I didn't do a good pastory job and put them into like an alliteration, you know, like start with the same letter and make it really short and easy to remember. I'm sorry. These are just long and boring. But all right, when faced with a fear or faith decision, you have that? It's uh, the go and spread it before the Lord one. No? Oh, man, it's the best part. That's all right. We're going we're gonna to get it to you somehow. We'll figure it out. All right. Or, or you can remember it or write it down, whatever. So it, or just, it's in your scripture. I just literally repeated it here. He went first and he go and spread it before the Lord. When you're faced with a fear, lay down in fear or stand up in faith decision, I want you to do this first. Go to your prayer closet. It's an old term for just go be alone. And spread it before the Lord. Right? Just... Confess, open up, open your heart. God, this stinks, man. This is what it is. I don't know if I can do it. Look at this letter. Look at what it's, I don't know what to do. He, let, he opens that, spread it before the Lord. Then de- next, declare that God is sovereign over all. That's what Hezekiah did, right? He's like, now this is, this is bad. But I, you know what? I'm going to choose to just remind myself, maybe even out loud of the truth. You are God. You are maker of heaven and earth. You are the Lord of all things. You stand before time and after time and over time. Nothing is more powerful than you, I declare. Third, acknowledge the situation in its fullness. I got tears in my eyes when I read how Hezekiah was like, it is true, Lord. These nations all have been laid, laid waste. I mean, that's tough. Like, you need to come to grips with the true reality of the situation. You might be like, it's true. Like, cancer that I have, the kind that I have or something, if you're going through something like that, uh, it only has like a 1% more, you know, uh, rate of being, uh, being able to live. I mean, you have to realize there are situations where like, wow, look, like the divorce is final. Like, I don't know what you're facing, right? But like, you've got to just come to grips. It's not as bad as other things maybe, but it's as bad as it is. And you got to just, I don't want you to be in denial is what I'm saying. I don't want you to sugarcoat it. I want you to enter into that pain with God so that you can do number four, which is to ask for his help. And God, I'm going to choose in this moment to step out to where it doesn't even make sense 
Water can't hold weight. It doesn't work. The science doesn't work, but I'm going to step out anyway. Okay, Assyria, hmm, the most vicious, violent, and largest army on the face of the planet just told me in a letter how they're going to come and literally make slaves of my people, kill the children, starve us of our food, and I'm responsible for these hundreds of thousands of people in my nation, and you want me to do what? You want me to, like Isaiah said, uh, be careful? And, oh, thanks. That's some fast type in there, Pastor Eric. You want me to be careful? You want me to keep calm? You want me to trust in you? I mean, that's what you're asking me for? All right. But here's the cool thing. If you were to do that, if you were to follow the way of Hezekiah, did you guys catch what happens there at the very last verse of verse 19? It says, Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that... All the kingdom, kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Yahweh, are God. I wonder if the world doesn't always um, find our faith convincing because we don't live our lives in a way that even needs God, really. But maybe if we were to step out of the boat more and live and stand up in faith, the world would see how our God comes through and their gods of drugs, alcohol, addiction, all the, whatever things they're using to try to fix their own lives, they don't work. Maybe if your life looked different than your neighbors, they would ask questions and wonder why. Tell me what's different. And you'll say, we don't say Yahweh anymore. We say Jesus. And he is different. All right. We gotta, we gotta wrap this up, right? Oh wait, it's not near two yet, is it? We're good. No. I want you guys to see how God fights for Hezekiah. Second Kings 19, we're gonna pick up in verse 35. Just two verses. We can do it. Hang in there. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death a hundred and eighty-five thousand in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. I love that verse. It's just so. The way it's written is so funny. And there they were, the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke up his camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. That's not the end of the story. That's just him disbanding his army. But what about Sennacherib himself, the head of the snake? One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adremelech and Sherezer, killed him with the sword. And they escaped to the land of Ararat, and then as Haradon, his son, succeeded him as king. Wow. So who went out? The Lord went out. What was Hezekiah's part? To trust. To have faith. Band, you guys can come up at this time. We're going to close out. So my question is simple to you guys. Fear or faith? I, like you, I'm tempted to give in to fear. But we've got to step up in faith. And I'm challenging you guys today to take the narrow path. Some of you guys also, this is something I felt like God was leading me to say. I added on. Um, Some of us, I think, in the room today are afraid to give God our whole heart. Um, 
So you may not even know this, but we're in a Wesleyan church. This is like a, a denomination, okay? And every denomination has a history. It kind of comes back to, you know, to a place. There's a guy, John Wesley. But one of the key parts of like our kind of flavor of doing church and following Jesus is this thing called entire sanctification. What it means is wholly giving your life to Jesus. Because we all know a lot of Christians. But some of us know people who are like, I want to be like that person. They have so much peace. You know the difference? They've given their whole heart to Jesus. Imagine if your heart was a home. Some of us have let Jesus in the entryway. Maybe even you let him sit down on the couch in your living room. But have you let him into your bedroom? That back closet? That locked box? Is Jesus allowed in every part of your life? So my challenge to you this morning... We're going to sing this song called Living Hope. And my challenge is during this song, maybe God's calling out to you right now and it's time to stop lying down in fear. And it's time for you to step up in faith. And so the altar is going to be available for you if you want to come kneel in your chair, if you just want to bow your head, or if you just want a purpose in your heart to confess to someone later today. Um... Don't let this opportunity go by. Small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. But only a few find it. Would you stand with me and let's respond to God's word through song. Amen. Well, one day... You and I, we will wake up in that land of glory. And I I wonder if we'll hold our heads up high with the spirit of Hezekiah. Or I wonder if we'll hang our heads low because of a spirit of Ahaz. Let us be faithful in the life that God has given us to live. And I want to say too, as I think of that song, I think of heaven. And then I think of heaven, I think of looking back on earth. And let me tell you something. The Assyrian armies in your life, the things you're afraid to give up, the hard things you're afraid to do, they will look like passing shadows. When you look at the majesty and greatness of God in its fullness and you stand before his throne in heaven, trust me, you will say, why was I afraid? Yeah. I receive this benediction as uh, we, we go out into our week. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, we do hope you guys will join us uh, for the family meal after service here. And uh, on that note, I was asked to pray for the meal. So you guys bow your heads and uh, we'll get ready to jump in. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you great thanks uh, for the opportunity to worship together. It was good to hear from your word this morning. I feel encouraged. I feel enriched. I feel challenged. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd give us the courage to, to live out the message. And we ask, Lord, that you'd bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies, that we might go and do your good work in our neighborhood. May Elbian know that the name of Jesus is the only God who lives. That's right. And no other God can replace him. And, and we just speak out against that even in the name of Jesus over, over Elbian, over our neighbors, Lord Jesus, that they be freed from all other idols and addictions and they would know the name of Jesus through our church. Amen.